Our long continental nightmare is over. Pierre-Luc Dubois has been traded to the Winnipeg Jets along with a third-round pick in exchange for Patrick Laine and Jack Roslovic. So, that is full chaos, not involving the Avs. And Patrick Laine still has no center to play with, so great deal, in my opinion. <laughs> Are you yeah, this is an interesting trade. Everybody you know, makes this out as a blockbuster, um, and, and it's just an interesting time of the season to to do it um I've, I've seen people on the internet saying that it's better to kind of get these things out of the way early this year uh because of quarantines and whatnot um i'm glad it actually it was, happened so we didn't have to yeah. care about it for the next yeah. six months so god it, yes it, every player who's such a scratched is gonna be traded for pierre luc dubois every night thank god it's over yeah <laughs> Are you devastated it, he's not coming to Colorado? Uh, no. no, I would I wouldn't say devastated. I I really like Dubois. I'm a big fan of his, so I was more intrigued by this than probably a lot of other ideas that come up. And uh, I think he would have been a great fit, something really different for the Avs. But they didn't need to get into the asset game. They didn't need to get into topping what the value line A has in in the deal that they got. So it's. It, it would have been expensive. So no, I'm not, I'm not bummed. Yeah. I think, I, I think the kind of assets it would have taken to get PLD would have made them um, even more top heavy and getting top heavier in the future. Um, and that's, that's something they kind of need to watch out for. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I like PLD a lot. I think it would have been great for the Avs, but um, I, it wasn't a need. So, I think said yeah, the good, two good C luck. is gonna be a need. Like I think the center is gonna be a question on this team, and he he would have solved that. But it's it's a good team now, and they don't need to beat twenty other teams in the asset game. And yeah. we're back to waiting to see if Newhook will solve the center hole instead, which is honestly fine. Yeah. And, and in the meantime, we've got we've got Nazem Kadri fill, filling that hole, or at least a Nazem Kadri-shaped person filling that hole. Should we start the show? <laughs> Safe to say, this top line is the best in the league? Yeah, we are. And after 22 years... Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for January 23rd, 2021. Coming up on your, like, second or third favorite Colorado Avalanche podcast is just so many things. We've got an Ian Coltrane, we've got Bowen Byron reviews, we've got great games, we've got terrible games, we've got mystery injuries. But before we get into this tale of two teams and play the whoosh, let's introduce your disembodied voices of the week. Joining us, as always, are Earl 06. Hello, Earl. Hello, friends. And Tiger Mixon. Hello, Jackie. Greetings, everyone. I want to start today by getting the Ian Cole retrospective out of the way. Uh, Ian Cole was traded to the Minnesota Wild way back in ancient history on Monday-ish in exchange for Greg Patteron. It's a cap dump move, not exactly a full one. They did have to retain some of Cole's salary. You lose every cap dump, it happens. So let's explain to the people why none of us really hate that deal, even though the value trade is an obvious loss. I... I don't think that Cole really was something that that would have gotten much on the market 
like now or this year really um and the I, longer the longer they went without trading him like saying like oh we could trade Cole at the deadline and it just that that doesn't happen so waiting for that would have been sort of fruitless so it's it's nice that it's just sort of done and we know what happened yeah i i really liked this move and part of it started with adding up the figures and seeing there was no cap space on monday that they couldn't even call up one extra person like they had the cap space for timmins but they literally didn't even have cap space for an extra forward when we found out that burkowski and francois were not going to be playing and we'll get into those later but it was kind of surprising that yes, this team already has used it all up. And then when you have to call up an emergency goalie, that pretty much took all of their flexibility. So it was, it was funny because it was like, Oh wow, this is, this is an actual problem right now. And if one more person gets injured, if someone, you can't call someone up, like you can put a guy on IR, you're not getting cap space unless you're going to play the LTIR game. And that's a completely different thing. So this was was like a front burner issue for the Avs that they had to find enough cap space to call up a second person, which is about a million dollars. And that's exactly what they did with the coal trade with the retention and everything. They got 1.2 million in cap space. There you go. Now you can call up an extra player. And it's funny that their money salaries were very similar. And um, I, it feels like Sackick had this idea in his back pocket that he could call up Minnesota and, and, uh, and cause their GM is collecting ex penguins. So it <laughs> seems like he knew that they would be an interested party, but to do it when both teams were in Southern California, so you didn't have to worry about all the logistics bullshit and everything that they could just literally swap and still maintain themselves in their protected environment. And like what Earl said, I never saw Cole as an asset. So they, yeah, they're not trading veterans at the deadline. They didn't do it when they were bad. They're certainly not going to do it when they uh, believe that they can win the cup. And, yeah. um, and then all, also the, uh, the other benefit is it signals that they're ready to move on to the Byram era. And we'll get into that one too. And that's, Maybe the most important part of all is that they decided that that they could move on from a guy that they probably were going to want to have in the lineup every night to someone else that hopefully ends up more of a six seven a guy that that you're definitely not going to see play all the time. Yeah, I think this is a good trade to demonstrate to people just how um, frugal they need to be to get through the season. You know, everyone's thinking, oh, they well, they got 1.8 million in cap space, so you know, what's the problem? And, it, and it's like you start getting injuries, and it just goes away immediately. So this is why you you really need to have your your 20 guy active roster and everybody else on the taxi squad every time you possibly can, because it just your your margin of error evaporates quickly. Yeah, and especially early on. Later on, it costs less to bring a guy up because his remaining cap hits lower. But yeah, early in the season, if they have three players go down, they can't they can't replace three players. It, it's a good demonstration on how tight the cap is and how you have to finagle a, a daily cap number as well as you know sort of the yearly number. 
Um, but it was it was smart. It it was encouraging to to me to see that that they navigated this because it's not really a situation they've been in an, a lot, and that they were able to do it so quickly. Yeah, this apparently came together to... really fast, like from 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 both ends. Which is and that it didn't take a draft pick because of the retention. I mean, right. Minnesota could have said, "Hey, you know," or or that taking on getting more cap hit in return is guess is what I should say because we retained, but they ended up with the higher cap hit at the end of the day. They could have said, "Hey, you know, we need a pick for that," and you know the Avs didn't have to add or anything. It was just goodbye, Ian Cole. Hey, one thing I wanted to ask you guys is: is when did when do you think the roots of this, you know, sort of the the impetus to trading coal came about? Because I, I don't think it's something that would just sort of came up this week because of the cap at all. I mean, I, I think this is something that they were looking at sort of last year and over the summer, and, and um, you know, I don't want to say the deterioration of his play, but just sort of the divergence of his play style from the style that the Abs are playing. Um, well, well, made I think his it's fit worse and worse as 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 last season went on, and and it was pretty obvious at the beginning of this season. Well, I think if they really wanted to just move on for him, they would have figured something out over the summer. But I think I do think there is something to a little bit of the rumor that maybe they weren't entirely sure if they were going to commit to Byram, and then because of the World Juniors, that and then when they saw him on on the ice in front of their own eyes they were like okay you know maybe that was kind of like the last and that timmons had had played well maybe those things were kind of the last safety net if if you believe it kind of goes back into the thing like they always knew they were going to move barry but then when they saw what mccarr did in front of their eyes that made them a little bit more comfortable to move on so i think sakic knew because when you saw what how their cap situation was looking they must have had some irons in the fire or at least some ideas of where they could move money if they needed to. So that must have been like a prior conversation or at least some sort of inkling. And then when Sackick was ready, he could just make the phone call. So yeah. I, I would say a gradual thing, but maybe they really decided that they were willing to move on from Cole because of maybe that last little step that Byram took. Yeah, I didn't feel like they could do yeah, it. I I agree with that, and and especially the Timmons part of it, um, because w- without Connor Timmons contributing in the NHL, um, then you're definitely plunking Greg Patteron into this roster reasonably often per probably the season, and we we'll we'll get into whether that's a great idea or not, but our, the spoiler angle on it is probably not. Um, it's it's definitely a combination of things, and I and I really imagine that. When they say this deal came together really quickly, what what they mean is that it actually like happened really quickly. But I imagine that this is something that's probably been in the works for a really long time, where Sackick and McFarlane are, are just kind of texting everybody in the league, saying, you know, what what kind of deal can we make for this kind of situation? You know, if if Ian Cole became available, what you know, what would you have on the table there? And they replaced yeah. him with a, a cheaper defender who is expecting a, a more limited role, and also. I mean, like the logistics angle we, we we've already mentioned, they just kind of dropped him off in the team bus and picked Greg up and up they off they go. Um, but also, it it does you know Joe Sakic definitely has a history of doing his players a solid, and has, he's found a decent situation for Ian Cole in Minnesota too. 
I think that is another good point that um, kind of what I was saying was it was going to be harder to scratch him. I just think that, you know, I think Bender would have done what he needed to do. But yeah, exactly that they they do have respect for Cole and everything. And he's he was one of their big voices like he was a big in the return to play. And I think that carries a lot of weight with the players and, and maybe the organizations. And if you were looking at a guy that was going to get scratched, maybe would be too happy about it. It, it, it was a good idea to move him on for a guy that nobody is going to care if he gets if pattern gets scratched all the time. And then just one final thing about the availability. I forget what article I wrote is probably one of the ones in the athletic that, the way that they put it was that Sackick finally let, I forget how to say his name, Garen, uh, know that Cole was available. Yeah. So I think it was it, it was Sackick finally calling and saying, yeah, we're we're ready to pull the trigger here. Yeah, I, I would guess there was probably a couple of these around the league that, that they were looking at and, and probably had in their back pocket when they needed, and they just needed it probably quicker than they thought. Probably so. And and I imagine that their attention probably was the only thing that ended up being being a discuss yeah. Be, yeah, because they're probably going on, well, I mean, you're you you're kinda gonna need to do us a solid here. If we're gonna do you a solid, how about some some draft capital here? And Joe's like, we can retain some salary. <laughs> let's let's do that instead. Yeah, because it was pretty close to what Minnesota had left, and then also it needed to be enough to where the abs could get a, another player up, so it, it's great that that worked out too that that there was no financial issue between the teams yeah it was a really nice sweet spot um so with, with ian cole leaving their roster um the the abs are going to lose and especially after losing zador off in the off season as well they're, they're going to lose a lot of their physical nastiness off of their blue line um they lose some penalty minutes for sure um, but they also lose a, a guy who has a really good idea of where the line is in the playoffs and how far it moves and what he can get away with. That probably is my favorite thing about Cole was that he he was able to get away with stuff that a lot of the others couldn't. And uh, you do you definitely appreciated those things. I do like some tough, hard hockey, some big, strong hockey. Big, strong. <laughs> but, big, strong. But yeah, there's a. Uh, I definitely appreciate skill more, though, but um, he, he certainly, he filled a void when we needed it, but we just, having a $4 million third pair defenseman that you kind of were hoping was going to get scratched is uh, is a bit much, too. Yeah, it just, it, it's really tough to see how Devon Taves came in and, and the way he plays, and, and, you know, he's not exactly big strong, but the things he does can fill a void like that. Um, you know, as far as being defensively responsible and taking some minutes late in games that Cole used to get. Um, you know, I, I, I think Taves coming over was, was another part of this decision that, that he worked out, you know, so well so far. So fast. <clears throat> it just, yeah, it just showed that, that sort of that style is the Avs style. You right, know, and that going you could against that. It's 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 just not a good fit. So that you that you can it. have solid defense from a guy like Taze. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You don't need the big shot blocker to have a guy that's that's effective defensively like that. Yeah, yeah. He's been really good. He's uh he's not flashy, but he just 
he does everything well. He's he can play a ton of minutes. He can play every situation. He can, so far, it looks like he can play with anybody. So um, yeah. it it is kind of amazing. Like you always hear how it's so hard to find a top four defenseman, and we've lived through that for ten years. And it's just like this guy was available for a couple second round picks, and he's he could play twenty five minutes. He doesn't yeah. have. I don't think he has to, especially with the def- defense we have. But how many other teams around the league are rolling out really pretty marginal defensemen? And how is it that Sackick jumped on this when a lot of other teams probably should have? Yeah, yeah. No, we... I think a lot of teams are looking at what Taves has done in the first five games. Like, going, yeah, God damn it! Having that, we can, <laughs> and we'll we'll definitely have the Taves conversation in in a little bit more depth a little bit later on. Um, but that that's definitely an an upgrade on the back end, even offensively, just because he has a has brought a, a dangerous weapon to the second power play unit, and it's not like he's going to score a power play goal every other game like he has been for the whole season. I mean, if he does, then rad, but he's not going to. But just having that option available sets up so much else. And we already saw them start trying to move to it last night where they would where where, where Sam would fake that pass as the you know, the, the Anaheim scouts have seen it and are ready to have prepared their PK for it, and something else may open up somewhere else. So um but but anyway, that that is another major factor for sure that they added Devon Taves and that he could really fill that steady defender role. Um Maybe with you know fewer cross checks on the crease, but that's definitely a role that that uh, made Ian Cole a little bit more expendable and redundant on this roster. And and I I really want to just be emphatic that we're not dumping on Ian Cole here by any means. He's a fine player. Um, it's just it's it's an issue of fit at this point, and the Avalanche yeah. went from having a we're desperate for NHLers defensive core to now we have our defenders. Yeah, and in my like for Cole just evaporated slowly over the past year or so, basically, just because, you know, Sam really, you know, came into his own and Makar joined the team. And it's just, you're right. It's just, that's the Avs identity now. And it kind of, it made the identity of the defense such that a, a guy like, Cole was having a harder time, you know, being a, a major contributor. But it's not a reflection on his what he can bring to another team. Yeah, we we didn't trade him because he's washed. We traded him because the, the the team's identity moved on from him. Yeah. And he was expensive. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, but that that that's not the only expensive defender getting much fewer minutes on the apps. So <laughs> no, or shadow. Um, if there's uh, nothing else to get into on that, we're going to talk about what Greg pattern has brought a little bit later on in the week. Let's talk about hockey games. Let's do Finally. it. Colorado are three and two after a week and a half, starting last Wednesday with a four one loss to the St. Louis Blues, which the Avs didn't really show up for. The only goal was a they busted sure ass power play goal from Andre Burakovsky. Colorado took that personally and came back on Friday with an eight to nothing. Eight. Count 'em, you fuckers. Victory over the Blues. 
Two goals from Gabe Landeskog, including career number 200. Another from Burakovsky. This one, much snipier. A goal from Miko Rantanen. A goal from Nazem Kadri. A goal from Jonas Donskoy. A goal from Devon Taves. Three assists for Kale McCarr. Two of them primary. The Avs chased Jordan Bennington after two, and the rookie backup was pretty outmatched. Let's take these two games together and see what we can learn from them. Anything? That's I think it thing. was good I... that that we didn't just have these games to talk about last week because yeah, it's it's really hard to have one really bad and one really good, and you're just like, well, what's what's the truth here? Yeah, I think the tough thing about these two games, you put them together and. There wasn't really much time, if any, where both the Blues and the Avalanche were kind of playing well or at their best. Um, so so the, the tough thing for me is we really didn't get a gauge on where the Avs are compared to the Blues. Um, and, and, you know, that, that would be probably the, the main negative I take away from that series, other than, than playing horribly in the first one, but... I do um, feel like the second game, though, you just look at the eight to nothing, and you're like, okay, that's, that was just a blowout. But that game was scoreless through, the, through half of it. Yeah. So, and so most of those goals were on the, the power play. I mean, yes, a lot, those were all joke goals. So, I mean, you know, the the so eight for- is great to see, but it's you know, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of you know really awesome five v five play going on by either team. But I do feel like they 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 work they had to have some hard work to get there because to get to the first goal and the second goal like that was it wasn't just a bl- a blowout opening the game it was they certainly had to get to that point and then once the dam broke it was over yeah it it helped to get some chances from a little bit closer in than the left point mm mm-hmm. mhm that was the main difference yeah, between the, the two the, games. Yeah, the, the the heat map for the first game, where basically every every shot was coming from the left side. It, it, I mean, I've never really seen a, a, a shot chart that asymmetric before. So <laughs> it was because every shot was coming from Sam. He was <laughs> yeah or Grace. creeping down the left side, and and that it was like every single shot. I think that was or. Yeah, it was that either was he was shooting he or he was passing to someone in front of him on the left side that shot it. Yeah. There was absolutely nothing in that first game going across the, the in, across the offensive ice. And St. Louis got everything they wanted. So Yeah. Like that that was St. Louis showed up for a regular season game that Colorado thought was a preseason game. Yeah. But the I tough do thing have is, a little is, is... theory about the first one about why they were so lethargic. Let's, like, let's get theoretical. Okay, is that, and I don't want to blame it on like preseason, whatever. No preseason because obviously nobody had a preseason, but a lot of teams did more like dress rehearsal, game time scrimmages where they would have a morning skate go back home, arrive at, at their actual arena and play a scrimmage at seven o'clock local time, you know, more of getting prepared for game day. The Avs did none of that. They, only they didn't did think of it. More light scrimmages <laughs> and they did them at their practice facility and they were all at 11 a.m. Then you get to the, the first game, which didn't start till nine o'clock local Thanks. because of the national and everything. 
So I'm not saying like it's an excuse because you're professionals and you'd be ready to go regardless, but I don't think that was helpful in getting an engaged and an awake group of players. Yeah. Oh, it's tough. I mean, because I'm sure none of them have done serious exercise at nine o'clock at night for the last three months. So, well, even when they were in the bubble, they played a lot of their games at three thirty. Yeah, and McKinnon even said he loved like those five o'clock starts. Like he said, he feels he feels good at that time. He likes it's not too early, too late, whatever. So yeah, we. And then you throw at nine o'clock at them. It's like, okay, these guys just, they weren't even, they weren't ready to go. And this, this is not as galaxy brained as it may sound if you've never considered it before, because the body really does have a routine that it sticks to. It has an energy clock that it sticks to. And nobody has a more like finely tuned body routine than a pro athlete. Like, I'm, we've all seen Jack Eichel's absurd routines where he eats the exact same thing down to the portions of the sides every single game day. But, like, they get up, they have or don't have a physical morning practice, they do their video prep work, they go back, they have a nap that starts and ends at the same time, they, they get up at the same time, they get ready for the game in the same way. And if you have had none of that prep, and now you're throwing a, a 10-hour start delay at somebody that that really does affect you yeah so it, it's just something it, it, it's a barrier that they didn't need to put in their own way it's a surmountable barrier but it's a it's still a barrier right it's a factor it, it, it's one thing like i don't want to take away from the blues i think they played well too but it's just it's you, when you see the abs do something different than other teams and kind of comes back and bites you And when when you're looking for a, a reason for it, like literally no one on the team to have a, a good game start to finish, like even the best players on the ice who were Sam Gerrard and Philip Grubauer had good Lord, what are you doing moments? So And they were all late in the game, too. Yeah. Yep. Like what time at that point after 11? <laughs> Something like that. It was it was be well beyond weird hockey out east. <laughs> I know I wasn't watching because it was too late. <laughs> but yeah, and just to, to get them back on Friday at a normal start time, once they've had that one late start time to start kicking their bodies into gear and they, they come out and they play well. Like, it, it isn't like they just took over and dominated for the entire game. Like like we said a minute ago, it it, it was tied at like 25, almost 30 minutes in and until Jordan Bennington remembered he was Jordan Bennington. Um but they played well. Yeah. It isn't like they came out and just like struggled to get through the blues. Like they were dangerous. Yeah. We never see the power play like that. I mean, especially the first unit. I mean, the first unit hasn't looked like that other than that night, which is troubling, but, um, it's nice to see them score goals, but yeah, when you elevate your power play percentage to like 30 or 47%, it's like, 63. Well, it's not, <laughs> we got not a, really that, but... We got to pour one out for that goaltender who came into his NHL debut facing a power play of Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rant, and Gabe Landis, Cognizant, Kadri, and Kale McCarr. Good luck. 
And it's funny because Earl and I know Billy Huso so well because he was the goaltender in San Antonio and we had to share with the Blues. And we were yeah. told over and over and over again that he was the only thing worthwhile about that team. <laughs> and then was, what did the Blues really do good. in front of him? What did the Blues do in front of him? They gave Nathan McKinnon a power play breakaway. <laughs> and it was yeah. at that time that he was thought of higher than Bennington. Like, Bennington was kind of the... you you missed your your shot here guy like he was still there but he wasn't really like their top their their number three in waiting it was huso so anyway that was just kind of interesting i'm sure earl agrees with me because we were so familiar with him but yeah, yeah. poor guy you don't really want no i yeah, felt bad first, for him first start is you just get to take power play shots from guys like nathan mckinnon yeah it's a, it's a little unfair yeah welcome to the nhl and this this is one thing that was really different about this game for me is when when Colorado started pouring the goals on St. Louis just started to play like garbage, and they had no yeah. goaltending behind them, so that always makes you play way better, right? Um, <laughs> right. But Colorado just took them to town for it. They didn't let up. They capitalized on everything they were given within reason, and just ran it up. Until, you know, late in the game when you saw Ian Cole on the power play, because it's like, it's 8 to nothing, LOL, and you got a power play late in the third. I mean, And I you... feel like the uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like the Avs are betting our handle that fine. Like, initially, yeah, you, you want to get your power play going. I would get it if, it if the other team did that, okay? <sighs> and then they started doing the second unit. Well, okay, the second unit is the one that's playing better than the first unit, so that wasn't really relief exactly, but he was trying. And then, yeah, late in the game, you have guys like Belmare and Cole out there trying to run a power play. But then they couldn't keep the puck in the zone. Like, at that point, you're just like, okay, Grubauer deserves a shutout. Can we just not fuck around in front of him for the last three minutes? <laughs> he he so had to like, earn it. They, they definitely wanted him to earn it. Yeah, like, he made some good saves there at the end. And, of course, the game wasn't in question. But at that point, it's like, be nice to your goaltender and let him have a shutout. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I understand what you're doing here, Bednar, but you... Yeah. Well, especially the way the, the team played in front of Grubauer the, the previous game, you know, you're like, this is a good way to make it up. <laughs> right. And I, I know how much goaltenders hate that when you lose a shutout right at, right at the end. That's... I mean, come on. So, yeah, it was like, okay, let's let's just get out of this and give Grubauer a shutout that he deserves. Yeah. But at least they did it. As great as it was defensively, as great as it was to see the scoreboard just ding in and ding in, there's still asterisks on it in in the form of where's the even strength output? Yeah. Well, that that's a theme for the whole week for sure. Yeah, pretty much. We're we're gonna hang on to that one as 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 we head out west for a pair of games against the LA Kings. Abs win on Tuesday, three to two over the Kings. Goals from Ranton and Taves, plus a goal from Brandon Sod. L.A. tried to make this a game late, but they were really never dangerous in this one. Um, no. But e- even with that said, Colorado's got a lot of power play goals in here, don't they? Yeah. Um, and this game was not very interesting. Um, I, I watched it on delay as usual, but it, it just it it, it kind of dragged on. Um you know, it just it raised more and more concerns about how they were playing five v five and how they're kind of really top heavy right now. So <clears throat> you would have liked to have seen some way for 
the problems to start working themselves out, but they didn't. That's just something we're going to have to wait for. And so this was this was the first 7D game as well. This was uh, Eric Johnson got his start that he was not ready for. And uh, <laughs> Denis Gilbert got his start that he was did, did very little with. And Bednar seemed yeah. to forget that he played him. Yeah, this was uh, the... Uh, right, I think within these five games, this was obviously the one that's probably the most forgettable and yeah and it's understandable because it was the third of the five and it was a win which is always appreciated but there wasn't a lot of drama to it but you're right i think the storyline of this was the roster changes that they had to make that burkowski disappeared and then they made the trade so cole wasn't available pattern wasn't going to play that night and um yeah they that was the, the day to bring was anyone made. up mm-hmm and um, they just had to play EJ, even though Bednar has been pretty emphatic that he is not ready, that he wasn't ready to take on that role or play at all, really. And it's funny, though, they had him out there at the end of the game with the empty net. And, and then I think they iced it two or three times. And it was like, oh, my God, EJ's going to <laughs> literally keel over. <laughs> Can't get off the ice and you have him out here. But um, yeah, then that hurt. <laughs> i know or that we know right but it was just like you know they, clearly they weren't ready to play him and it just it worked out hey it worked out and gilbert was okay i mean i think i kind of compared him to a young ian cole i think he's kind of similar to that so it's i think he's fine depth but hopefully we really don't have to get to that point yeah, I think he cemented his place as the ninth defenseman. Um, and, you know, I, I went into viewing him with an open mind. Um, and, it, you know, obviously it's tough because he hasn't played a game in forever. Um, but he just, you know, he didn't look up to speed. You know, just didn't look comfortable with, with what he was being asked to do and whatnot. Um, he did have one hit, and it was a pretty good one. But, uh, you know, it, it just wasn't a very memorable game. I mean, I'm obviously, I, he's not going to be And then Bednar couldn't maker, remember but... his name. Like, someone, like, I think the PR guy even had to say it. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's clear he hadn't been talking about him much. Right. So. Um, but Colorado gets off to a good start. They, they take a, the lead. They end up up three to nothing. And they just kind of ride that into the sunset. Uh, yeah. Not, not a whole lot of going on in that game. Um. Yeah, the, the PK kind of fell apart late. Yeah, and that's that, that's too bad. Pretty much the only story. Um, yeah, and because it, it was just it wasn't a dangerous LA Kings effort. Um, no, but let's uh, let's move on to Thursday because on Thursday uh, we've got to talk about the goal standing situation now, don't we? Because Hunter Miska gets the start. Hello, <laughs> that that's not Francois. Yeah. What happened? <laughs> So I guess Frank apparently had got hurt in practice. I don't believe he got hurt in Monday's practice, which is the, the company line, because Werner was in photos of Monday's practice. So I don't think he's learned how to teleport yet. So I think if it happened, it happened on Sunday, and they didn't say when they talked to the media. 
and then Bednar conveniently didn't speak on Monday, we find out um, late Monday night through the cap-friendly transactions, which has been a godsend, by the way, because they're the ones that are keeping track of all these taxi squad transactions because the Avs, like, tweeted their own transaction the first time, and ever since then, they were just like, forget it. So... (laughs) (laughs) So thank God for Cap Friendly posting the taxi squad transactions every day. So that's something that we're going to be keeping a real close eye on moving forward. But anyway, so we see Monday night that Miska was um, called up to the emergency goaltender, which gets into what we were talking about earlier. That's where all the cap space went. What's going on? And people are like, well, it's because they're going on the trip and everything. And it's like, no, the taxi squad goalie has to be there anyway. If he's on the NHL roster, that means he has to at least back up. So what's going on? Then we find out that Franco's got injured in practice with the surgeries he had and his injuries from the bubble. You really do start to wonder, like, okay, what what's going on with him? What can we really count on? With him moving forward, like, is this just something where he's not available for the week? And we still don't know the, these answers, but so that led us to Hunter Miska having to start because they were playing a back-to-back Thursday, Friday. They, they're in the middle of four and six. They continue with four games for the next two weeks. So, yeah, they can't, they can't burn out Grubauer again because then they're just completely done. So... They have to, they have to start somebody. And I found it interesting that Miska was asked. He pretty much knew he was playing. He said he knew that he was going to get one of the back to backs, and he found out the day before he was going to play in that Thursday game. So Benner was like, "Oh, I don't know. We're still. You got to decide if Frank can play or not." I mean, that's just complete bull because I don't <laughs> even think Frank's on the team on on the trip or with the team. And so, like, Miska doesn't know that he has to play days before if Frank is an option, right? So, um, then we see that, um, I think it was Thursday that they signed Peyton Jones to, I don't even think it's an ELC, which I'm a little surprised that I don't think he's old enough to not have an ELC, but that's probably minutia that doesn't matter, but that they signed him to an NHL contract. Everyone's like, Oh, the Eagles need a goalie. No big deal. It's like, no, he was already on an AHL contract, which means you can stay and play for the Eagles as much as you want. The only reason why you'd ever be on an NHL contract is for the Avs. Meaning do they see him as a taxi squad goalie at some point, you know, and then Bednar was talking about rotating all three, meaning Miska, Werner, and Jones. Okay, so if they're actually thinking of having Jones on the taxi squad, do you guys follow me here? He is going to play a game at some point. So, uh, I don't know. They had I, mis- mean, <laughs> I mean, how many games did Miska dress last year and not play? I mean, they didn't even you, sign you Miska until it. February. I, I know, but... Okay, we were at game four. Game four. We're already playing our third goaltender. But, but this is a non-issue. Well, and, we haven't and the played third our second goaltender that you're, yet, though. The, the, the third goalie means you're screwed anyway, so it's fine. So then it yeah, doesn't but... matter if, Pey- if they have to play Peyton Jones. Like, just, it, like I don't, I mean... I don't buy the whole, like, your third goalie doesn't matter. Like, does your third center not matter? Does... I mean, at what well, point... We saw, the... I mean... Who Again, plays we in saw the game with, matters. 
but we saw with Aaron Dell, you know, Aaron Dell is a great third goaltender and he ended up being waived and collected by another team. So I just, I, I don't know what you, I don't know what you can do other than what they're doing. And if it's a, if it's a long-term need, they're just going to have to trade for something. It's okay, just, which is stupid because all it takes is signing somebody. Like it, if you, you could but be if in this you position. sign someone and you have to waive them, then they're gone. So well, that's, that's like not even signing someone. You may or may not. Okay, you may or may not. Maybe he, maybe he does get taken. Then you're in the position you are at now. So why not even bother having someone better? If he gets taken, then you're in this position. Like Carolina's goalie, I don't know how to say his name. Ned Nedlevich. He was the AHL goalie of the year. He won the Calder Cup, and Carolina was so convinced that he wasn't going to make it through that they claimed Forsberg just in case he didn't make through waivers and then waived Forsberg when he did like what <laughs> like why can't you even have that guy that guy's on a one-year contract seven hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, and everyone was shocked that he went through like there's there is better out there like nobody's hiding Hasek out there in their third goaltenders, but I don't know how you can just say like, "Oh, it doesn't matter," because <laughs> we're already at game four and it matters. We haven't even gotten into whatever the Avs' COVID crisis is going to be, which I'm sure there'll be one at some point. Like they signed Peyton Jones, I'm telling you right now, that guy. You're going to see that guy. You're going to people, are but this is their solution. And no, I don't think the great solution is well. At some point, they can just make a really bad trade where they get rid of their entire rest of their draft and God knows what else to solve a problem that only took signing a guy. It makes no sense to me. What's obnoxious to me about it is being told the entire offseason that you're you're having a catastrophic nightmare if you're playing your third goalie anyway. Took a week. <laughs> yeah, but the, the second goalie never played, so is he really the third goalie? Yes. <laughs> okay then we're talking He's about definitely... your second goalie if the second goalie can't play so now we're talking about the backup now we're talking about the nhl backup i mean miska is still the nhl backup right now yeah and it's not like this whole oh we were going to need a third goalie there was going to be a taxi squad like i've been this ever since covid started that they were going to need a third, that they were going to have to have a taxi squad, that if you were ever going to carry three on your NHL roster, plan for it. Do it because you're going to need it. So when they don't win the cup because they're rolling out Peyton Jones or equivalent. Uh, I'm, I mean, if Peyton Jones is playing, though, they're not winning the cup no matter what. And it, it, Then I guess it doesn't <clears throat> matter, right? Like just Right. It doesn't. If Kirby's not shot, healthy, they're injury. not winning the cup. <laughs> Right, one injury, just fold up shop. Try again next year. Well, I yeah, mean, honestly, it, that's. I mean, the you know the Canadians a couple of years ago, like Carey Price got hurt in the middle of the playoffs, and like they were on a pretty good run, and it just right at that point, you're just like, well, maybe next. <laughs> so that's year. fine if uh, that's... if Grubauer or Francois isn't playing and they lose, then hey, you got nothing to complain about because <laughs> you're expecting to lose. But if, right, if you can't. Go 500 with your backup goalie. Your roster's not good enough. Yeah, and that that's against playoff teams. Like if if you can't win four out of seven games with your backup goalie, your roster's not good enough. But we're not even talking about backup goalie. We're talking about 
We're talking about beyond that. I know, but I'm just saying, like, it's one injury (laughs) should not derail your entire season. It shouldn't, but that that guy is that you can't hide him. Like, you can hide a, a an AHL forward that you need to call up. Like, you can't hide a goaltender. If they have to play, they have to play. Yeah, I, I just don't agree that it means they're going to play this new signing. I think it means that they don't want Werner on the taxi squad. Yeah. Well, I think that's the other question. Why didn't Werner get the start? Like, if they're serious about him as potentially an AHL backup, because they're not. You're not giving him the start. That's, yeah, that's my answer. Because they're not. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's way too inconsistent. <laughs> and no, I don't think the idea is to sign this guy that's been in the ECHL, didn't even have an AHL contract, but he's he's signed and he's going to be available. And we've already seen how these things compound very quickly. Well, I mean, Peyton Jones might turn out to be okay. I mean, we just don't know. Well, well, if that's true, then then we will win the cup. Right. <laughs> See, now we're thinking like they are. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Hunter Miska yep. gets the start on Thursday, and I think he so did all right. Else. Yeah, I, I think he, I like. I don't think they lost because of him, but no. is the difference between him and someone better might have been giving up two instead of three? I don't know. Yeah, they lose 4-2. I think one of them was in the empty net. It's it's definitely not a yeah. game you can play squarely on the third goalie because they came out dominant and then just stopped playing. Yeah. Um, but one you, of them was a 5-on-3. Like, I'm never going to blame the goaltender on 5-on-3. Sure. Never. No. Um, and it wasn't a great goal, but still, it's a 5-on-3. None of his goals were great goals, to be honest. No. I think the last, so I don't know. Like, the, then the second one was power play. Okay, you know, they had given them a ton of power plays, too. Thanks, Tim Peel. Tim Peel. But... Yeah, so the L- Thanks, the, uh, the LA series was also the Tim Peel experience, yeah. which neither game had any flow whatsoever. Because like, there were so many desk. penalties. Um, but yeah, um, so Ranson and McKinnon what? got both your goals here, and they're you know great goals. But you got to pay more, got to play more than a period and a half. And uh, also, also worth noting, they did not. The second game of the LA series was the debut of Bowen Byram in the NHL. Woo! So there are it's yes. bow time. So there are fifty thousand things to talk about from this game. <laughs> yeah, I will, well, going back to what you mentioned first was just the dominant period that McKinnon had in that first period. I mean, yeah, that was probably one of the best periods I've ever seen him play. I mean, it, he just he was in that zone and he was in that gear where it just looks like you cannot stop him. Like if he has the puck, he will go through anybody. He will make whatever shot he wants. And yeah, it was a shame to spoil that, but he he did give us a great goal he set up and a great goal he scored too. And I, I think it was also this game where Gabe Landeskog dodged the check from Drew Doughty, which sent Doughty flying into the boards, which was hilarious. <laughs> was <laughs> oh, um, one one thing I wanted to say about Miska before we move into the general game is that. There was one sequence where he was rolling around on his back, stacking the pads, and, and <laughs> somehow the puck, but the the puck somehow didn't get in. And it's just people are going to look at did. that and say, like, "Oh my god, what a save!" You know, and it's just, you know, this, well, other, that exact other... sequence is why I don't like Hunter <laughs> Miska. 
and because it's like I mean, that I stuff it, it, like, he does that stuff in the ahl all the time and gets away with it <laughs> and it's just like you're not going to do that in the nhl because you, you're not dominic Koshik. that's just not going to work and the sequence did end in a goal <laughs> just not right then right <laughs> he makes but then again when other people do it, like okay i get it if you have to make a yeah i know like gibson that, did it means... last night too and i yeah. know but <laughs> because gibson bit really 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 hard on a great fake and and then recovered yep. it wasn't just oh i'm gonna be out of control all the time yeah so yeah i get it it's like if you have to make that kind of desperation you probably made a mistake somewhere along the line but right other goaltenders do get kudos for that, you know? It's I know. Like, no, it's like Mosher just couldn't even believe how do. awesome that was. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> that you don't want your goalie doing that. It just means he's bad. <laughs> and I think Misko's okay. Like, I'm not trying to say I like him better than you do. I think he's I'm, not. I'm a little more confident like... in him now, but still. <laughs> I'm, I have no confidence whatsoever. I, that, that was stressful. Yeah. I, I, I do I do not want to go back to having no idea what's going to happen when another team takes a shot. No, thank you. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's Frank finding but whatever I magic elixir he needs would would be helpful because I still think I still do believe Frank has ability, but it we are getting to a point where it is like okay, you know, he it's not like Frank's exactly young either, so right. Yes, he's starting to break down too. But, uh, you know, I'm okay if Visca has a few starts. I don't think he's terrible. Like, he's he's actually not old himself, washed up. Like, I, there, he was a prospect at one point. I think there is a little bit of upside left, but it's just it's just a matter of you, you really don't want to go there that much. Yeah, he's, he's, right, got, he's I, got skill. He's not an unskilled goaltender. He just relies way too much on it. He's not an not a overly sized guy, and he also has a tendency to shrink back toward the goal line and, and not play big either. So yeah. he has a and half he of line had, on that. And he hadn't played at all either. Like Werner at least had played over the fall. Like Miska had done nothing since God was the last Eagles game. Probably. probably. Yeah. March 11th. He's got lots of practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the same thing as reacting to shots in a game. <laughs> so but he did he did fine you know he he did give them a chance to win it did it, it certainly wasn't his they his just loss. didn't take it yeah he, he just didn't yeah. you know help them win he, he right. gave he them a chance do didn't do it himself which is yeah when, when you're what you're asking third... for from your third goalie is basically yeah. that right yeah. what you can't do in front of your third goalie is find yourself in a tim peel joint taking penalties every other minute yeah yeah, not good. No. And it's like, the, I mean, there were a lot of soft calls. Like, I feel really bad for Pattern for the penalty that got the five on three because that was. Well, you know, he did trip the guy. Well, I mean. Well, the guy was already falling down. I mean, yeah. it's like, it's. I don't know if you can really trip someone that's already fallen down. Well, they were on the power you play. can't in Tim Peel's mind. They were on the power play in the first place because a player who had the puck committed interference. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Are you serious? There were a lot of bad ones. It was, you know, if we're ready to turn the page to Byram, it was he was victim of one of those too. Like his very yeah. first shift, 
and Kopitar is holding on to him, but okay, let's call this guy and put him in the box. The first yeah, I mean, that was a NHL Jordan career. call, that's... which is fine. You know, I'm willing to give that to Kopitar because that's just, you know, he's earned that. But, yeah, that, he gets you know, out of the box. It's not a great call. Gets back to the bench, and, and one of the assistants gets down to his ear and says, okay, that, <laughs> you've been chicken-winged in the NHL. Congratulations. <laughs> We're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. <laughs> but, you know, they, they didn't hold it against him and he no. they continued to play him in uh in a lot of different situations like he was he was person. real nervous like that <laughs> i'm sure he was real nervous for the first half of the first period but it's like by the end of that you could see him calming down and becoming the usual combo and byram that we're used to seeing and you know right about then i was like okay good yeah, you started Honestly. seeing him do things like call for the call for the drop pass, and the last rookie we saw call for the drop pass in his first game on the blue line scored on that drop he pass sure that he called for, and yeah. just about yeah. destroyed the Pepsi Center. <clears throat> yeah, so yeah, so it wasn't quite the same legendary debut, but I don't think anybody, uh, you know, you, you less, can't expect a little less hype about the game too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Thursday night in L.A. Yep. But when they, I think they gave Byram, he was out for a defensive zone face-off in that first period. It was like, okay, I think I might be serious about giving him a chance here. And and then he had some good shifts with Makar in, in the top line, which you'd say, okay, yeah, there's a lot of talent on the ice, but he was he was helping that talent too. He was helping create oh, a couple hard. really good shifts for that line. That also means the King's talent, <laughs> be that as it may, yeah, is out there. Yeah, that's true, too. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he had to defend against the, the better King's players. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think it was a little up and down, um, but for a debut, I, 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 for for his age, um, I, and I know that, that we're, we're a lot more comfortable letting younger defensemen play now than, than in the past, but it just, it's, you know... As a 19-year-old kid for Byram, it's probably a lot to take in for a first game against NHLers. Yeah, I would have, I would have hoped he would have at least had it because I think just even having a game is is such a help because then you know as a player it, what the speed is, what the strength is. You just you have it in your mind when you're preparing and practicing and working out and everything. So I wish he had had at least maybe a couple games before just to see what it was like because. Because he doesn't have a long runway here, right? Like, we'll we'll get to his second game, but you know, like the time is now, and he doesn't he is not going to have a lot of time to show that that he's legit. So, so keeping that in mind as well, it was I think a very successful first game. Yeah. If, if anybody could have benefited from a preseason game, it's it's Bowen Byram. Like he probably hurts the most from from not having an opportunity to play a preseason game. Um, even, even though you wouldn't take him out of world junior for anything, um, just having your first NHL experience be a regular season game is a little bit different. Um, and you expect him to go out there and, and screw up something and just kind of, you know, just, just make those I'm brand new kind of plays and you don't see it from this guy. You see, oh, there's just an NHLer with the puck. Okay. Um, uh, I'm on board then. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, don't forget he sat around in his hotel room for seven days. 
But at least he could do body workouts. Right. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But that that just it hasn't been an easy road for him. Like he's he's had to, you know, just mentally even. He's locked in Edmonton for fifty days and he has to come here in <laughs> quarantine, you know. I'm not even talking about the first time he was locked in Edmonton for fifty days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Bo Part One was good. Yeah. Yes. He, he was a, a very bright spot in a game that was otherwise very frustrating. Yeah. And finally, on Friday, the Avs travel for a back to back, which was just dreadful, against the Anaheim Ducks. They did pull a win out of this one, 3 2 in overtime. The goal scored by Don Skoy, Rantanen, and the OT winner from Landeskog. Just a marvelous set of plays in a row. But I want to never think about this game again, frankly. So if, if y'all just want to talk about Bo Byron's assist for me. Well, I think, yeah, there's there's a lot of, there'll be a lot of good memories from this game. But I do remember what the, pretty much like most of this was was tough to get through because it was just like it was such a grind and then it was like oh my oh. god if they lose this game again you know like the the king's game became a grind at the end and that's kind of how they lost it was like oh my god if they just get ground into dust again and find some way to lose this stupid game but it was just like the way they won and everything is just just changed it and then you remember all the, the nice plays they made and it was it was great like and I think it was cool how Gerard and Byram and Makar each had the primary assist on all three goals, great plays and passes from them. It was just like perfect symmetry of like, here it is. This this is who the Avs are and making a difference. Not even accidentally yeah. either. Like they made those plays happen. And not too many people noticed, but Byram was the third guy on the ice in overtime. Goal got Yeah. Scored. Yeah, I did too. It was like they had him out in the last minute to hold the lead. And he was holding the fort. You know, it's like Gabe and McCarr like below the goal line and you know, Bo is the last line of defense. And, and then that, it, and that, then that is something overtime. interesting because they went 2D on um, I don't know if they did it every every shift in 3v3, but I think they did. I think they yeah. only had two. I think they really only had two shifts. And I didn't yeah, listen right. to the end of the presser that wasn't televised, but I think someone asked Bednar about the 2-3 in overtime and and something about how like he likes that strategy because they've been too I don't know what the word is, but um too risky with two forwards. Like he, he feels like it's it's they're a bit more covered if they have two defensemen and then yeah. oh gee by the way those those four that they can roll out are McCarr, gerard byram and taze probably like yeah. you're not sacrificing any offensive ability and by the way byron scored a ton of 3v3 goals in junior i mean i'm not saying that's going to translate but i'm just saying like he's got a good knack for reading the play and everything so we'll see if if that'll ever come to fruition or not, but, but so yeah, he was the the second D out with with Makar in overtime. But then I was also saying like to hold the lead in the end of the third period, Bednar had him out there with one minute to go. I mean that was crucial to them getting a point in that game and getting it to overtime. So it's that's a you can see that Bednar's handling him like Makar and Gerard were handled, and we are only two games into it, but. 
to me, that makes me feel better because I, I know I talk so much about like, are they going to commit to him? Like what, how much rope is he going to get? How much are they, are they just going to look at him as like, okay, you have to, you get a couple games and then that's probably it. But you know, if, if they've yeah, committed to staying. him, <laughs> well, after that game, you're really going to sit and you know, it's not official. So it's official. If he eats, it's not set in stone until he plays that seventh game. But I like that he played through the back-to-back. I think that also shows that that it's a commitment. Like, if they were really thinking about those six games, maybe you'd spread it out a little bit more because he's going to hit that seventh probably by the end of this coming week. So if you were really thinking about it being a thing, maybe you don't play him through the back-to-back, and we'll see. But, I mean, you can't take him out of the lineup after after the game you just had. So, um, And yeah, one I mean, thing... My- Go ahead. One last thing before I let you all talk about Byram is <laughs> I thought it was it was buried in a presser that nobody mentioned. It didn't make any articles or tweets. But at the end of Bednar talking about Byram, and I think it was definitely before yesterday. I don't know if it was before his first game or after, but he said he's not going to be on the power play yet because he likes how the units are going, like with Sam and Taze but he's going to sit in on meetings for both special teams. Like you don't do that when someone's not sticking around. Like, yeah, I was surprised he was even that forthcoming that they're even thinking about Byron playing special teams like that, which I thought was a huge thing for him to say, but you know, no one picked up on it. It's fine. I noticed. (laughs) (laughs) You listen to the pressers like I do. See, there's, a lot of truth in those. A lot of truth. Yeah, there, there definitely is. But I mean, my memories of of this game are, besides the the goal at the end, of course. Um, you know, drive to the net, sort of reprising the one that that he had for Canada in the gold medal game that didn't work out, and, and this I one know, didn't this either. Was... But it was still amazing. Um, yeah, and his his great. pass to Miko, which was just out of sight. Um, you know, both those plays really showed, you know, the way that he moves into space and thinks the game and that, you know, he was deking guys out of their jocks and stuff like that. Um, and, and one non-Byram related thing that's always going to stick with me is Hampus Lindholm and, and I think it was Sam Steele smashing into each other in overtime. <laughs> and that was just about the funniest thing ever. <laughs> there's yeah, there's nobody around. Nobody. <laughs> You're not skating through traffic. You're not dodging an official. You're facing each other the whole way. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's it not wasn't like that quite... led to a chance or anything. No, but I mean, who could have? I mean, if if you knew that was going to happen, you might have. But I mean, it's like, who thinks two guys are going to run into each other and just get smoked? You know, <laughs> it's not Jamie McGinn and Matt Duchesne out there or anything. <laughs> And, it, and it's oh. three on three. There's like there's everyone else is miles away. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think something that dumb could happen to us though. So I'm not oh, going to sure. be too. It'll, it'll be oh. funny then too. <laughs> it definitely will. <laughs> but I, I bet I watched that clip thirty times last night. <laughs> I still have it up in one of my tabs. <laughs> oh my god! I didn't think it was that epic. Jeez, I mean, you know the Byram clips like. 
you know, the pass through Lindholm's legs and then yeah, roast but we'll see that, flat. you know, for the rest of the yeah. season and for the rest of his career. I mean, <laughs> 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 uh, we'll also see, remember you know. Lindholm very obviously covering the puck with his glove and then complaining that he got called for it. I okay, <laughs> I did not know that was a rule. I did oh yeah, not- oh yeah. If you cover that the puck to, with your I, glove in the crease, I know you crease. can't do it. I didn't know it would lead to a penalty shot. It, it oh yeah, sure it's does. like throwing your stick or anything like that. Yeah, it's you know, it's it, bad. It it falls in that in that uh category of game flow penalties that I think of. Okay, bullshit. You can't do that. <laughs> well, I'm glad it's a penalty, but I, a penalty shot. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. But you're, whatever. I'm you're taking gonna... away a chance. It has to be in the. It has to be in the crease for for it to be a penalty right. shot. And then, of right. course, and John Gibson just gives McKinnon absolutely nothing yeah. on the penalty shot. So what are you going to do? And, yeah. And I get that you use him because he's your best player. But honestly, like Miko and even to an extent, Landy, they are better shootout. They're better shootout players. Like Landy, Mister like, Slapshot from the circles on a shootout. <laughs> oh, McKinnon has one move, and it is lethal. If you're not ready for it, and he didn't. Yeah, John Gibson's ready for it, and he knows John Gibson's ready for it. So he tried to take the shot before he was ready. He saw Gibson baiting the five hole. He tried to beat him somewhere else. Gibson's like, "I'm still going to stop you." Oh well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's still not e- it's still not easy to score on a penalty shot or shootout. So I'm not going to complain, but and I'm not going to say in hindsight they shouldn't have used him because it's Nathan McKinnon. Like he's right. he's your game changer. <laughs> but the guys that are more shooters, you know, Vetchkin, guys like that, Line A, they're they're not your penalty shot guys. It's I just want to make the point. It's it's the guy with the best hands. That's that's your penalty shot shootout guy like i think i think miko is better at that in general like if but... Berkey was healthy i would consider using him for sure and if Kadri was to a look total up his ass career. i would consider using him too but it's just you know the way I'd the have team's to look playing he's uh career curse stats on the shootout so i'm not sure but no it's it's usually not the guy with the shot it's the guy that has the best hands is the <clears throat> the guy to use and then the penalty shot and and but. McKinnon's one shootout move is all hands. It's that forehand, backhand, forehand, backhand, forehand, backhand. Oh, I popped the, the bottle off the top of the net move. And yeah, he can place the shot so well that it's surprising that he took the shot like that. Like, McKinnon can try to pick a corner, so it's a little surprising. Like, why don't you just try that? But, you know. I just think he saw something that wasn't there. Yeah, it's, it is what it is. It's fine. It it's, didn't end up mattering. Still, still got two points. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Two points and move on. So there's two very major things that we have not gotten to yet. So we have to do that before we move on. One of them is that when the Avalanche traded Ian Cole for Greg Patteron, um, everyone was like, oh, that guy's going to be on the taxi squad for the whole season. He'll he'll be in- injury depth and they'll be fine. And uh, kind of heard a couple of things that Bednar had to say about him. And I was like, he's going to play that guy. And yeah. he's gonna do it right now. So yeah, I didn't. I didn't think they got him to waive him. No. So that. So he wasn't going to the taxi squad. But I guess we'll see. It's hard to say because we don't have EJ available. Right. We haven't seen their exact affinity for guys like Byram and Timmons, even though it looks good at this point. So yeah. well, we don't have an idea. Was particularly brutal in the game against LA. 
he has low time on ice for it, and he ended up getting the scratch on Friday. Which I think is fine. It's, I mean, if I had to choose between a commitment to Byram or Timmons, it's pretty easy who I would choose. I don't even need to say it. But if they can actually work through both of them, then that's fantastic. Because I, I do think Timmons has done a lot of good things. I, I think the best thing is just his quick, decisive passing. And I think that's always been the best part of his game. But I... In the LA He's still series, really confused in the defensive zone, and it's it's. I don't know. It's just it's not. I mean, not that he's old, but it's just he's been in, he's been in the, the pro ranks long enough that, um, you might be just a little bit disappointed with, his his the way he plays in the defensive zone. Other than you know using his vision to make passes and things like that. Well, I, I think I, his I think skating, his mobility, like. He's worked on it, but I think as someone pointed out from the Discord, it was just him turning his hips is just still like glacial. It's, you know, it, the transition's tough on him because he can't change direction that fast. And I think that's what got him. There was a good scoring chance against him in, in that game. And I, I think his game has been had been slipping a little in that first LA game he was like the worst on the team 25% Corsi which does not paint the full picture and a defenseman especially do end up getting the short end of the stick on the the Corsi for the evening that I've noticed a lot so you can't plus he plays with the bottom six a lot which is yeah exactly so I'm not gonna say that he he was like the worst in that game or anything like that but then he got like six and a half minutes seventh D out of seven like there's a lot of mitigation Right, and then, well, then the second, like, he was playing more, but then, yeah, the game that they start playing Byram, I think they only have minutes for, you know, one of those guys to really get decent amount of time. Like, I I think it's going to be a while before you see, even if they play 70, before you see Byram and Timmons really getting, like, decent minutes in the same game. It's kind of my concern. Like We, We may not see that, unless there's an injury, and once Eric Johnson's back. (laughs) <laughs> right so and it was interesting the the first time the, the game that they played together um timmons was the only defenseman that byram didn't get a shift with right and then that's fine like they're not going to play both of them together that's no <laughs> that's that, a little too much that'd be dumb <laughs> and, um, so it was fine that timmons set out he, he'd also played every game yeah. so to sit out in the back-to-back like Rest is on the table for pretty much anybody at that point, but we'll see what they do moving forward. Like, I wouldn't... And Bednar did go out of his way to mention Timmons and the presser, talking about the defenseman he's impressed with. Like, we know that he likes Timmons a lot, but organizationally, you know, are they going to look for that excuse to send him to the Eagles to play and blah, 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 because how... How I, mean, are I think that was the plan him? from the beginning of the season anyway. I mean, I just, I, I think that EJ's injury and the COVID um, taxi squad situation uh, made it a little easier for them to play him in the early season. But I, I mean, I really do think they want to have him in with the Eagles, you know, proving he can stay healthy and, and keep on improving his game before they, you know, commit to playing him a lot. And the Eagles are kind of short 1D, so it's like, you're just kind of like, oh, are they going to get one from the Avs? So yeah. when they get home on Monday and they have that day off, and that that could be a day where they make some of these transactions where they 
send some people that run the taxi squad to the Eagles because the, also their camp starting. And, you know, I still don't think the AHL is a great situation, but I just, I get the feeling that they're not set on the guys that they have up and they could make changes. But, you know, for me, the important part is Byram. And if he was ever going to have a, a time to show that he needs to stay in the lineup, well, good time to have it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but I, I bring this topic up to talk about the 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 new member of the Avalanche, uh, Greg Pattern. Oh, okay. Sorry. Who, but, oh, that's right. But, but the, <laughs> yeah, but the, the Timmons him. piece of it matters. The Timmons piece of it matters. Don't get me wrong. This is all one big topic. Um, Timmons just isn't why I brought it up. Um, cause, okay. Because if if there is a rotation for now between Timmons and Pattern, that's fine. That, that's all right. It doesn't matter. Um, Greg Patteron has played two games with the Avs now. Um, did you remind you of anybody? <laughs> <laughs> well, he wears Where number do I start? five. I don't know. Did that come to him in like a dream or something? Like, choose five. But, um, yeah, I think the joke is what, like, Nate Ginnon? He's a little quicker than Ginnon. He yeah. is, uh... You know, a little less pointy than Gannon. But yeah. Shoots more than Gannon. Uh, that's a low bar. Yeah. But yeah, that's and that's kind of where shouldn't. we're at. He He's a punt the puck out of the zone first kind of defender. I, do, I think they're smart enough not to play Patteron and EJ because that's unnecessary, but... You know, Bednar's answer about EJ was really interesting last night. It was like, you know, he had to keep explaining because he's been asked several times, like, EJ's conditioning's not there. I don't know if they want... I thought I went over this before. Yeah. As per my previous email. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But it's like... It's it's his conditioning's not there, and it seems like guys like Dater and Chambers don't believe it, and they think that like the abs are hiding something. Which hey, you know, I'm all for you know the management conspiracy theory, but I don't see one here. He just had to say like he literally did nothing for 15 days, and it's not only that he missed all of camp too. It's like he you know he he trained on his own and maybe got some captain's practices and then got the COVID and then that was it. So. It's like he hasn't had anything. So, I mean, yeah, it is literally because of COVID, but it seems like people are trying to get them to admit that he has, he has like some deficiency because of it. And it's like, well, first of all, he would have never been cleared by the doctors. Second of all, he would have never played even how desperate they were. They they would have just not gone 7D. Duh. Yeah. Yeah, Played 11 and six or something. I mean, they would have dressed two goaltenders. Yeah, it's like there. If he literally was uh, like actually the definition of unfit, then like they would have found a way. They would have done something different. So yeah. it. So I believe. I believe that that's what's going on. That they really he needs he needs to get to that point. But Bender also said in that part of the answer, it's it's also kind of like well they they have other real options and they're not going to play EJ until basically they need him like I. He was a little pointed about that. Like, like we we don't really need him. <laughs> and it's 
like, well, wow. I, I think it was also him saying they're not going to play him until he's 100%. And he said that about a lot of guys before. But, it, it you know, that philosophy like, true that now. we're not like, going to need him until he's 100% ready to, to help us. And it was also sort of like, well, we're also not going to play him because he's he's you know been here years they kind of, he kind of said that it's like oh wow okay and no i don't think it's going to be to a point where you're looking at ej being a healthy scratch and then, like truly the seventh d i don't think so because they trust him so much but it's um thought it was it's definitely sound a little bit of like changing of the guards there and so anyway, back to the point about pattern, which I know we're just trying to avoid talking about this guy. The, but the point isn't pattern. The point is the defensive rotation. <laughs> it all matters. And I hope pattern doesn't have to play every game. Like like I was trying to say is I can't imagine when EJ is able to go that they're also going to want pattern to play. Like it really should be an either or there. Right. I think Hopefully. we know who the top four, the top three defensemen are. Well, yeah, um, that's. That's easy, and then, and then it's then when healthy, you've got EJ, and you know I, I know everyone hates Graves, but they like Graves, and he hasn't been as bad as everybody seems to think he's been. He's an NHLer. He, he's been about as bad he's, as he's ever been in the last week, but he's he's an NHL defender. Well, right. he, his worst. And then you moments... have Byram, and then I think then then you start looking at like Patterson, Timmins, Gilbert as your seven, eight, nine. Yeah, if Byron was like solidly their six at this point, that's cool because that means he's playing every night. And like well, I, I remember, I think, I, I think last night showed that they don't really that they shouldn't play Graves and and um, no. Pattern together. No, ever. no, they should not. That well, was Graves, eye gouging. Graves was bad with Cole in the first game. It's like you right. can't you, you can't put Graves with a guy like that. You have to put right. It doesn't make it twice as good. Whatever you think they. Have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just it's multiplicative but not in the direction you think <laughs> and i agree graves is not that bad like he he right he's an nhler he can play he can dress every night you know it's okay but you you're gonna have to manage that a little bit better too and yeah i mean i i would i think it's pretty clear that graves is ahead of pattern he should be. I it's it's been two games, so it's a little hard to find pat a pattern yet, but sure he should be. Pattern definitely should be like six seven. And I actually think they might do the seven D a little bit more, especially to make sure they get Byram in because if EJ does come back, you know, the numbers start to work a certain way. They played seven D a lot when Sam was a rookie. And that's what kept him in the lineup every night. Like, they never scratched him because even if they felt like maybe he wasn't playing as well, but he was still in the lineup and playing. Yeah. And I think I could see well, if it's that. It's a choice maybe between Bo and, like, you know, I don't want to tool on Cout here, but, it, you know, it's like if it's a, a choice between having Bo or Cout in the lineup, I mean, that it, you're, you're probably going to go with Bo 100% of the time. Well, it's just, it's not even between those two. It's like, he's the most important, like, he's more important than Timmons. Like, he's, he's the most important one. He's the one you need to make a commitment to because he's the best player and you need that. You, so if, if they're treating Bo like, like they treated Sam and Makar, that's great because they're making a commitment to them. 
put him in the lineup and you see big things for them and it pays dividends, you know. My worry was just maybe slow playing it a little bit more and then he ends up more like a bottom pair guy because kind of gets pigeonholed as that. But no, I'm I'm <laughs> not complaining now. It's so far so good. So far so good. But moving forward, you've got to figure out what you're going to do with all these guys. And let's hope we're yeah. not hoping here for injuries to make the decisions easier either. But it does seem the tempo it. of injuries is going to have a couple guys injured at a time. Yeah, as usual. So. You don't hope for them. You just you know they're coming. Yeah, right. And you so- go from like, how do we play all these guys? To like, oh my god, we're gonna have to call Gilbert up because <laughs> he's the only one we have left. Yeah, yeah. It seems to go from zero to sixty pretty quick. Seventy is fine. Um, it it's situationally good even like you definitely want to have it in your pocket i don't think you want to do it all the time i i don't think it's something you want to do multiple games in a row generally um because it puts a lot of stress on your top forwards because they're having to pick up extra shifts when they already are going to do that anyway they're picking up more time on top of that um it's just like it it kind of can screw up with your D pairings as well, as much as this team shouldn't have set pairings, which is a conversation we don't have time for today. Um, it's just... It does jumble it more, and I think that also has led to some of their offensive problems. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it's more to me that it compounds them, and here's why. Like, we've seen the, the team be fantastic to start a couple of these games, and then run out of gas as it goes on. And when you're having to play... Um, you know, McKinnon, Ranton, and Landeskog, you know, every third shift, plus each one of them is, is filling in here and there on other lines as needed. Like, that does, that puts a lot of strain on them. And it doesn't help that they're doing all the scoring. Yeah. This is our other major topic to get to. The, the line with Kadri and Sad has been bad. Oh. Yeah, it's, uh, they're they're lucky that they've honestly with as bad as it's been and not scoring at five and five it could have even been a lot worse yeah and i you know i've always been a proponent of breaking up the top line um i think i think putting sod on the top line would help him a lot because it seems like when people are around him doing good things he gets jamming um, but it's like, you know, Cadre really doesn't doesn't drive play in the way that that helps Sod a lot. So <clears throat> that's not good. And then with Burakovsky being gone, you you really don't have a guy that's that's excellent at carrying the puck into the zone and and doing a, a lot of the heavy lifting through the neutral zone. So I will say you know, I've never it's... missed Burakovsky so much. <laughs> like <laughs> I. <laughs> And it helps that he was he was good in the in those first two games. Like sometimes he can also kind of look like clueless, like Kadri's looking right now. But no, not now. It's like okay, <laughs> please come back. I didn't think he looked great in the second game, Burakovsky, until he got that power play goal. Um, and he, when when he fired that thing home, it was like okay, he really needed that. Um. And what I liked I about him in that second game was he here. had a couple zone entries that yeah. were world class. And that's that's really that's I mean his shot is is awesome. But the way that he can take the puck and enter the zone and and really challenge defenders and push them back 
um, that really creates a lot of space. And, uh, you know, I, I really do think that's, that's kind of what they're missing. And, you know, re regardless of how, you know, his injury shakes out, I, I think that, that putting Gabe on that line and sticking with it for more than one friggin' game or one period, um, you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to get a lot more out of Kadri and Saad if they're on different lines, I think. I think they need to at this point because also not only not scoring, Kadri and Saad have been very bad defensively. But and that's they, just, I mean, given it's not, not all a... their fault, but out of 12 even strength goals, the Gavs have given up. Saad's been on the ice for eight of them. That's, that's not great. Yeah. They need some defensive help there and it's, let's, I, that's probably what they're going to have to do is put Landy there. I don't think Burakovsky is like a set and forget on that top line either because I do feel like he's very inconsistent. But when he's going, yeah, absolutely, that that's the place for him. And well, but, I, I I don't like him on the top line because I like him on the right side better. And then like Nico can play on the left side and it's okay, but it's like you know why would you mess with that? You know, it's like Burakovsky's so good on the right side. You keep him there put Sod on left wing on the top line and then you put Landy on that left wing. Yeah, I you can know, see I really that. think no, you I have the beginnings of a like a consistent top 6 that way. Yeah, um, I could see that. It's just yeah, right now it's going to be a little hard to justify putting Sod up there, but you you got to do what you got to do as well. So and right. then I mean, it, oh. it's going to make the team better. I mean, you, you have one line that's going real well and then everyone else is is really not. Uh, you, you've got to figure out a way to leverage your talent a little bit, and it, it, it's it's, it's got to be a little more than you know having the guys on the top line rotate in with the other lines once in a while. It, it needs to be a, a consistent trio. And I think the disappointing thing for me is, yeah, we don't expect Kadri to drive play, and we we know Sod isn't that guy. But it's like just hold on to the puck at least, for God's sakes, like the turnovers those guys make—they're just not strong <laughs> on the puck. It. I mean, it's it's just like I, I there was a point yesterday where you I was can say hoping, that about just about anyone yeah. though. <laughs> I was hoping Byram wasn't gonna pass the Cadre because he wasn't gonna like he was gonna boot it, <laughs> and he did. And he I was did. like, oh, I knew it! Like, you're just screwing him. You're just oh, screwing Byram. You can't even hold on to the pass. I I think it was the first power play yesterday where like they actually had a pretty good power play, and and Cadre just booted three really good chances oh, and you're just like well there was oh, he had a wide open net that he put a foot wide yeah <laughs> <laughs> like it's, no pressure but i mean even <laughs> even that aside that line is has right i mean right now that line has a garbage pdo as well um yeah but that's under it's under 76 but, yeah but they're but also contributing to that they're contributing yep. to the save percentage for sure because what, what <laughs> like, like the perfect example i don't remember which game this was but it was a game that we saw a little bit of time of Sam with Ryan Graves. Ryan Graves follows a puck back into the defensive zone. He gets spun around, can't make a play on it. Sam can't quite get there in time to bail him out. I think that was yesterday. But I don't know what player you're talking. It might have been about, yesterday. Kadri yeah. is kind of there. Sod is kind of there. Neither of them are really able to do anything. Kadri is in front of the net trying to play defense, and it just doesn't go well. And then the the pass from opponent to opponent goes low to high pretty quickly, and Grubauer could make the save, but it's a really tough save. 
just because yeah. of that low to high motion. It's what what you're seeing with that line is just a constant compounding of mistake, mistake, can't cover it, can't cover it, can't cover it, goal. Yeah. And and then the first game against St. Louis, it's just the, they were the ones that could, they weren't covering at all. They 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 gave St. Louis so many of those odd man rushes, and it's just and individually they've each had some moments. So, so it, it's not to say that they've they've been. 100% trash, but there's been a lot of bad, though. Like, you know, Saad had the nice goal that he scored. He's drawn a couple penalties, but each of them have taken multiple penalties. It's just, it's it's not good enough. Like, I get that they're vets. It might take a little time to get going and, and stuff, but, like, they don't have time for that. They, they've got to figure something out. Well, I mean, it, it would help a lot if, if something was happening with the bottom six that was encouraging, and, and it's definitely Well, the, the comfort line... Surprise, surprise, still sucks. Like, yeah. Donskoy, you know, Donskoy hasn't even played a lot the last few games. He he can thank Sam pretty much 100% for not being entirely in the doghouse. Like, you look, oh, well, Donskoy's the one of those that's that's producing. It's like, okay, entirely because of Sam is why he has any points. And because of the power. I mean, at because least of he's power putting the puck in the net. Well, I mean, he almost didn't put that puck, that perfect pass, and that puck into an open net. But, but sure, of course, you're never gonna completely called bank. (laughs) But yes, whatever needed to happen happened. He does have his name attached to three points, so that's more than some other guys. But it's just like, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a mirage there. Let's just say and. Don Squires and played a lot. Comfort, you know, it is. It's like these yeah, guys I mean, can't. Ben, be Benar has called Comfort out after games twice. <laughs> um, he says that, that line has to be better, but it's like, what are you going to do about it? Like, are you real? What are you really going to get to a point where you're going to like scratch Don Squires? You know, really think they're going to do that? I don't know. It's interesting that you mentioned penalties because this was something I thought of last night. Um, or maybe it was it was after one of the games that, that Kadri took a penalty. That Nassim Kadri tr- consistently has one of the best penalty differentials in the National Hockey League. Tyson Jost is someone that we have wanted on the, on the penalty kill for a long time, which tr- t- typically means he's not the one in the penalty box. Um, yeah. And right now, the two ads with the most penalties against them are Nassim Kadri and Tyson Jost. <laughs> and and we do recognize we went through two games of peel bullshit. That that was some of it. But, but the peel bullshit went both ways, and Kadri's penalty dif- differential is still negative. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> that's true too. But that's why I'm saying multiple. Like okay, like a few of these guys. I mean, like Sam's penalty was complete bullshit. You know, there's there's a bunch. But when you when you've gotten into at this point anyway, two and even three penalties, it's like. All right, you're and, not. And, and like you four. said, Kadri's not drawing them, and Kadri's not drawing the penalty. Like he, he's drawn three, but he's taken four. The only other person I can see to, see who's drawn three is Nathan McKinnon. Oh, uh, yeah, Nachushkin has drawn three and taken zero. By the way, yeah. Um, but yeah, Kadri's minus four plus three penalty differential is not Nazem Kadri's standard. Tyson Jost minus three plus zero is definitely not Tyson Jost. And I've liked Jost on the penalty kill. I think. I think pretty much everyone's happy with, you know, maybe not to altitude's level of thrilled. Like they're like, oh my god, Tyson Jost is out there. It's like, okay, I mean, he sure he's is good at the PK, but goodness, 
It's um... the PK has been I don't know kind of inconsistent. Something that really bothered me yesterday was I saw that the Ducks were changing on their power play from unit one to unit two or something like that, and they only had three guys in the zone. And the Avs could have really attacked them, and they were standing in their triangle plus one, not even near anybody, just watching <laughs> them change. And it and like that's when you just you just sort of see into their minds, like you know, I've been instructed to stand in this place, and that's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> um, it's very passive. So it's a, it, they yeah, they've gone back to being really reactive, and it, you know, when we see the the PK having problems, this is generally the symptom. And, and right. the way I don't they think get out of a... it is going back to being aggressive. Right. Yeah, I don't think the penalty kill's been the problem yet. Like they have, they've killed a lot of penalties. Yeah, it's it's been yeah. okay. Um, yeah, it's been okay. But but I think like what you're saying, Earl, is that you know, you know we see some of these things coming down the pike where they're gonna have a game where it's just like the penalty yeah, kill. I mean, just, if they if, if they were apart. doing this kind of stuff against like a Toronto power player, I mean, not that they have to play Toronto, but you know, um, you know, if they're Someone playing good, I think the, the Ducks haven't scored a power play goal yet. So. They sure haven't. <laughs> so it's it's not a big worry. But you know, w- when you're going to go up against a Vegas or, um, <clears throat> oh gee, I don't know. I mean, the like St. Louis was good, I think, but um, even Minnesota can score goals. Right. You know, it. it being that passive just isn't going to work. It's 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 just going to make life hard for everybody. It's particularly your goaltender. And if you're on one of those nights when you got Hunter Miske in goal, you really don't need to be standing on, in place on the on the penalty kill. And you yeah. definitely don't need to be taking a five on three. No, definitely not. No, two nights in a row. And is this where we're going to complain about their? I don't even know what the percentage is. Probably still like forty percent power play. Which yeah, that's great, well, but it's almost they've entirely... scored seventeen goals and ten have been on the power play. Yeah, I I don't want to s- devote any time to complaining about the power play yet. No, um, except to note that its current percentage is wildly fake. Yeah. Well, and also because the second unit is what's driving it. The second unit in Billy Huso was or was driving it. Yeah, and some of yeah, some much. of the second unit driving it has also been magic bullshit. And yeah. Sam, <laughs> and and Sam and Tapes, but but yeah, it's it's a wildly fake power play success rate right now. Um, don't 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 be surprised if they suddenly go a week without a power play goal. Because especially as as they've had some of these games later on this week, as they've had their traveling back to back and stuff, we're starting to see the return of the static power play. Yes, and that's yeah. a concern. But much more concerning is the lack of 5-on-5 output and the lack of 5-on-5 contribution from the middle six. Definitely. So Yeah, they're going mean, to have to figure something out. So that's probably... six goals at 5v5, and Gabe has two, Miko has two. So everybody else, two goals. And the, and the Don's point one games. was one second after power play two. Fired. Right. No. Yes. The so it's Gabe or you said Miko has two. What, Gabe has what, two. Gabe has two, and then what? McKinnon has the other one. I think so. Yeah. No. 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 If it's it's Donskoy and someone else. It's Sod. Yo. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and Donskoy's was basically a power play goal, so... Yeah. Yep. So, pretty clear where we're going to go to look for stars and scratches. I think my my star is going to go straight to Miko Ranson, and he's got, like, four oh. goals. He's been... He's, okay. Yeah. He, he's, <laughs> he's been capitalizing on incredibly good plays by other players, but not everybody can capitalize on those plays. He's been playing real well himself. He too. sure has. Miko Ranson yeah. claps for you. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Especially as someone that maybe has a little bit of a reputation as a slow starter. I don't. I don't. He has had slow periods. I don't know if I would describe him as a slow starter, but no. he has been so good. He he has it like all rolling the the size, the skill, the hustle. I don't. The goals he scores are all beauties. But he's he's helped drive that line really. Yeah, so. let's. I mean, let's not forget how his goal happened last night. Like he beats out an icing. Right, um, and he wouldn't be the guy that you would maybe necessarily choose as the right going to beat out an icing and exactly. And then he ends up in the front of the net and receiving that wonderful pass from Byram. Um, but that was just you know that that was Miko to a T for the beginning of the season right there. And just. Just a lot of other just plays that he's made just behind the net, like on the, I don't even remember what game it was. I think the St. Louis game before they broke it open, but he was huge in getting a couple of those goals, making the plays to give Landy the puck. And in that one that he scored right in front of the net, that was also another really good Nico play. Um, I'll let you take Sam. So I'll take Devon Taves <laughs> as my star of the week. <laughs> Um, like, like we said earlier in the show, you know, he's been kind of a revelation. You know, we didn't know how he was going to look. I mean, what he did with the Islanders, you know, he was put more in a very offensive role and not, not very much of a, a 200 foot role. As, as much and... of one of, the, of those as there can be on the island, right. I should right. mention, there's a very <laughs> exactly. large systemic difference here. Right. Um, but you know, he's... He's played very well, but I think the thing that's impressed me the most with him is the chemistry that he's developed so quickly with just about everyone that he's played with. I mean, you know, he has good chemistry with McCarr. He and Sam obviously have a little thing going on PP2 and, and when they've played together five on five. Um, you know, he's gotten shifts with, with Byram and Timmy and, and the other guys as well. And, and, you know, he seems to be able to play with anyone at any situation and, and really look comfortable out there. And, and, you know, that's really impressive just in a normal season where you have, you know, your three-week preseason and six games and all that. And and, and he's done it with, with basically starting from scratch at game one. So, you know, it's just a, just a fine pickup and a, and a great player to have on the team. Yeah, he's he's such a great fit. It was It was so nice to see them target him and think of someone that has those abilities, the skating, the IQ, the passing, and think of him as, as sort of a defensive, I don't know if you say rock, but just the, someone that could help on the defensive end. Like we said earlier, doesn't have to be a shot blocker and all that. And then um, just that he has worked so well that he isn't flashy. He hasn't done a lot of flashy things, but that's okay. You don't need that. And I agree. And then you look and you see how many minutes he's played and it's like, he's out there half the game and and in a way it frees up the other guys to do a little bit uh, different things that you're not necessarily like always relying on Sam having to go get the puck or having to rely on McCarr doing everything. And uh, I think, 
I still think he even has more to go to get comfortable and to really yeah maybe start for himself to take a little bit more chances but even if he doesn't that's okay because he is sort of that safety blanket in general so i agree All right. good good start go, for the week go okay, ahead are with we your going sam, sam? Trivia. okay well see this is the funny thing everyone's like oh my god sam's so good i'm like yeah like i've known this <laughs> i don't know i mean he does look good but when people are like oh boy where did he come from it was like uh <laughs> it's like you don't watch the games do you he's been pretty fucking good for at least two years but oh, and it was crazy last night like watching like Riker and keith and they're talking about oh byram and mccarr taves and was it... oh yeah sam <laughs> <laughs> That's the way everyone kind of thinks about him, but it's like, oh, are you not I mean, entertained? They, <laughs> they still really do need him. Like he, the things that he can do, he's he touches the puck all the time. He has he has the puck. Maybe he doesn't quite carry it like a guy like McCarr or Byron will, things like that. But they they still really oh, need Sam's, him. Sam's and... had a ton of zone entries this year so far. I mean, I mean he's really upped his game there. But I, I do agree that he does seem like he, he came out on fire a little bit, that he is being a little bit more decisive, which I think that was a complaint a lot of people had. And, and they say he's faster. I don't know about that. Like, I mean, he he's always been fast, but sure. Okay, why not? I think the decisiveness and, makes him look quicker. Okay. I yeah. think that's probably fair, too. And then he had all the shots, I think, against St. Louis. He had, like, Sam had seven shots on goal. And... um. <laughs> And I know that's probably not your winning formula there, but, you know, I never complained about his shot. The point is to get it to the net. If he can get it on net, you know what? Like, that's why you're paying these forwards nine, eight, nine, seven million dollars is to score on a on a rebound or puck right there. So um, I'm glad to see him get recognition, especially when you have a lot of the other talking points like Taze and these, all these things coming together. So I'm always here for Sam appreciation, but I don't think it's a relevation as much as maybe it's out there a little bit. But um, and then he's really made that power play two unit, which I've pounded the table forever. That he's such a good passer. What an asset that is. Move him off the point, you know, give him something else to do because he's so creative and has such good vision. You know, he might be kind of good on power play one, but you know, we won't go there right now. Just he's. You know, I'd boot Kadri and maybe try Sam over there. But anyway, um, and it's just funny. They're like, oh, Sam won't be on power play anymore because we got Taze. And it's like, yeah, you just watch. And <laughs> and uh, look at how many power play goals he's contributed to. Man, Nathan McKinnon, 500 career points. Gabe Landeskog, 200 career goals. Both relegated to honorable mentions. I'd even <laughs> say group hour. Like, yeah, we've, we've been pretty tough on Grubauer, and I do want to be fair and give him. He's been pretty good. Like he, he in that the last Ducks, the last game, the Ducks game. I mean, he had to be really good to not give that game up. And he was. He so. was. Um. So yeah, we've as, for as many as many things we still have to complain about, particularly in, in the middle of the forward core, at the the top end of the abs and on the back end, they are really deserving of praise right now, and uh, now they have to spend the next week not proving us wrong. 
Um, keep it up. That's what we're saying. Scratches for dot dot dot. I think the the Holy Trinity is pretty easy here, right? And Kadri Sod and Comfer, like, did all not good enough. I have and, no protest. And they get they get the minutes. It's not like you know we're ragging on a fourth liner or whatever. Like they're all expected to do stuff, and they haven't really done anything. Yeah, and it's. It's obviously wearing on Bednar a little bit, um, <clears throat> especially Comfer. I, I just, I, I think, I, I, I really do think that, especially with the PDOs that that Sod and, and Kadri have right now, that it, you know, you They'll know, they're going to be a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, they. But, right, I I do agree. I think that's the difference. Like, you know, they'll get better. They've been in the league so long. You know what their game is, and they'll get to it eventually but Comfer is it a little bit seeing the light like he the, he's not the guy that Bednar thinks he is so never has been yeah can can what can you really expect like I always say this Comfer will have a week when you're like oh my god you know when you pull out the 1877 meme and he's great and he scores on this breakaway and he's so clutch and like it was a huge goal and and what a great play and all that but that that's like one week and then like four or five weeks go by and it's what we're seeing a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. And now nah, he's been like adding concrete to the offense and you know, the, the defensively it's, it's really not so hot when he's on the ice and I, I, you know, obviously he's not getting a lot of help with it from his line mates and, and that's tough, but it's just, it's, if you're the center, it's your job to sort of make things better. And, he doesn't. And it's not just the not scoring part. Like it's, it's like Nuke. Okay, you can't really count on him scoring, but he's also done a whole lot more. Like he can, like you mentioned earlier, he's drawn three penalties. Like he's he's been that big screen on the on the uh, the power play. Like he's he does things defensively. What game was it? I think he. He does deserve credit. I can't remember what damn game it was now, but he had a really good game. Like he almost made Kadri decent in that game. <laughs> it was either game two or it was either three or four this week. It was one of those two, probably one of the LA games. He was really good. It must have been three and, then, because there wasn't a whole lot to write home about after the first line <laughs> in the fourth game. Probably, probably. So, like even Nuke is, you could say, okay, he hasn't scored. But he has at least noticeably done something productive. Like, I cannot even think of one good thing that Comfer has done, really. Like, he gets the breakaways. He did draw the penalty. Part of that was, like, Byron passing, giving him a great pass helped. Other than that, like, what does he even do, yeah. really? Like, nothing. Yeah, and, it, it, and he's actually, you know, he's got a, a positive PDO. I mean, this is, it, he's not going to regress upwards from here. So that would be uh, scary. <laughs> I mean, we we could be looking for explanations like PDO if this wasn't just who he is and who yeah. he's been, and the exact reason why when you sign him for four years, the first thing I do is groan as loud as I can. Yeah. Um. No, it's tough, but I mean, the management is aware of the situation. Hopefully, this will change. <laughs> um, my scratch, I. 
I, this is low hanging fruit, but Belmer has been really bad. Um, you know, just sort of he he's you know as far as centers not controlling the ice, he's not doing that for for whatever lines he's been on. Um, but I, I I don't want to get into that too much because it's low hanging fruit. My <clears throat> I kind of want to scratch my car. Um, just because. Hold on, let's get, how, let's get the hot I, take music going here. Yeah, this it, it, that's the. Uh, that's I know it's a hot take. I, I, you know, and I, I think he'll respond. But it's just when you have Taves and and Gerard playing so well, um, and and Byron making a a debut like he did, <clears throat> you know, that's that's got to push him to really get going, and he, he really hasn't gotten going this season yet, and. You know, we don't really have much of a track record whether he's a slow starter or not. Um, I you know, he's can, usually I can... pretty deliberate, so it, it it wouldn't surprise me if he's just a little bit of a a slow starter. But I've definitely wanted to see more from him um, defensively. He's still decent offensively. Um, you know, he's definitely done some nice drives to the net and and created some good scoring chances. That's not bothering me. But it just overall, his game is 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 not where it needs to be. I can half co-sign that. I, I get where you're coming from. And I think a little bit of it is like the insane expectations like of on him. But I know also part of it is we know what he can do. And right. So, but, you know, even like McKinnon. For, for hasn't, a normal hasn't, human, he's been fine. But it's but, just, he's not. But I mean, even McKinnon, like even though McKinnon's had like some incredible periods and moments mckinnon's also maybe not been the best version of himself at at times but i'm not gonna say like oh he hasn't he's scratch worthy i i think mccarr got better i i liked his last game so i liked against the ducks i think he was getting it together a little bit more and then obviously the the great pass and movie made it he's definitely gotten better over the five games but it's he started out pretty rude and in a way, I think he does get a, a bit more of a pass defensively. Like some of the stuff he does, I don't even think like Byram could get away with. People would no. be like lose their mind if Byram did that. And and so there is there is part of that. Like he definitely had a few like really not good oopses. And yeah, yeah, you would like to see him clean some of that up. But then again, like than everyone's fair game for their oopses and yeah and there's there's been some i mean when the team scored six goals five on five in five games you know there's going to be a lot of blame to go around but i just you know that's honestly i I don't think he he should get a pass for that like i'm gonna suggest he's even maybe been a little bit unlucky even though his his luck stats wouldn't indicate that because he's got like one of the highest um on ice xg stats on the team right now i know you look yeah. at his coursey every night it's like wow like, okay. and, and he's <laughs> he's getting heavy offensive usage as well yes but like it, the, the offense is being created it's just not going in the net well what i've found and you know i, I kind of broke down everyone's shooting and and defensive stats and i don't like looking at them together because that's just not the way i roll but it seems like the the guys that have there are either guys that are high event or they're not. Um, there, there are some guys that are just terrible as far as shot differential. But in general, 
most of the guys on the team are either pretty high event, like the top line and, and Makar and, and a few other guys. And, and then you have a lot of guys that are really just low event, like suppression. And we've talked about this, how, you know, Bednar just generally suppresses everything and then gradually opens up uh, it, you know, to the point where regular people might be able to generate a little offense. Um, but I don't know. I, th- I think as good as Taze has been, I don't know if they've quite meshed. Like, they're both so good, Makar and Taze, but have they really made each other better? I don't think quite yet. I, I just think Makar is going to see more goals go in on on the offensive side. I I, I, re- I think where he does deserve a critical eye is his net front defense, but yeah, that's that's a known quantity. Yeah, and then and the turnovers in the first couple games were, were pretty egregious in the defensive zone. Yeah, he wasn't um, alone on that, though. No, but again, it, he's Kale McCarr. Yeah, and it, it is a very high standard that, that he has to meet, too, I think. Yeah. So, before we go on any longer with this very long show, which we knew was going to be very long going in, because we said, ah, there's only two games the first week, let's take the take that first week off, and then everything happened. <laughs> Let's go ahead and look at next week, because coming up next week, the Avs rematch against the Stupid Ducks. That's tomorrow at 6 o'clock Mountain. And then the team are back... Well, I say tomorrow. Sunday. You may listen on Sunday. It's on Sunday. Then the team are back in Denver on Tuesday and Thursday for a two-set against the Sharks. And next weekend, it's a Saturday-Sunday back-to-back against the Stupid Minnesota Wild. Uh, we're not with sure. more to come. Yeah, we're, we're, which, yeah, <laughs> which isn't even it. <laughs> we're not sure yet if we're recording on Saturday or Sunday afternoon or next week. We're thinking it's probably going to be Sunday, uh, but keep an eye on at Burgundy Radio on Twitter for that news later in the week. Um, so let's include both games of the Minnesota set. Five games against three teams. Predict your points. Probably say six again. Three. Win three out of five. Is that what we're saying? Five games. Win three out of five. I think it's going to be really tough to beat a team twice in a row. I mean, we'll we'll see if they can put the Ducks away again. But I hope they can put the Ducks away again because they played awful on Friday and they still led for most of the game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You you would like to think that the the second game here they could play a little bit better, and we'll we'll see the sharks. I've seen the sharks a little bit. They they looked really bad, so I don't. Yeah, they really got to be able to beat the sharks at home, and then I don't think Minnesota is going to be bad. That might be a little bit of a battle, especially playing them four damn games in a row. But we're not going to think about PK man for us. But I'm going six point six points this week. I think if they can stay above five hundred in chunks like this, then we'll be okay. I'm gonna go with eight points. I think they'll win the next three and then split with Minnesota. I have the same prediction, so just to avoid the tie, I'll call it seven points and say they'll drop one of the San Jose games in overtime. Just to piss me off. <laughs> Whatever the latest game this week is will be the one that goes to <laughs> Definitely. And then a shootout. 
I'm actually pretty sure that every game this week is at six o'clock mountain. I think the sharks are at seven mountain. Oh, oh that makes sense, doesn't it? Because they're in the middle of the week. Blah. God. What? So you're probably right. Day is it? I don't know. Um. So yeah, the sharks will be at seven. I'm pretty sure the others are all at six because it's in Minnesota, so that'll be seven central. Um. Yeah. So six, seven, or eight points. We're that's so we're all still expecting a successful week. Um. So that's good. It could be ten points if the second line figures out its shit. Yeah, I mean, I I do think this team's going to get progressively better. It's just I, I do think what everyone's saying that, you know, this is basically their preseason right now, and then, you know, then then they'll just start jumping out of the gate. I I think for some things, yes and no. Like we've discussed, that it could be understandable. Some guys are in more of a slower start, but there's also things that we're used to creeping up that that's gonna that's a real problem. It's not like a preseason problem. So I, I think the abs will consistently be good. I just don't think they're going to consistently dominate, but it's not how you start. It's how you finish, but they just got to work through it. It's not how you start. It's how you finish, but your start really helps. Yes. You do need to bank points because I, I personally see this division as tighter than what's out there especially in the media and the betting because now apparently that's the biggest portion of being a sports fan oh, now don't is get me started betting. on that we are far too far into the show to get me started on that <laughs> but it, it's just like i do think that la anaheim and san jose are legitimately the weaker teams i just think the standings are going to be a little bit more compact than people expect maybe so and there are still abs killers on San Jose's roster, even though uh, little Joe may have been shipped along to Dallas. Yeah. Still got Logan Horseface. Yep. So whatever, wh- whichever shark ends up killing the abs this week, we will definitely talk about it right here on Burgundy Radio next week. We'll be recording either Saturday or Sunday afternoon, probably Sunday. Um which means that you'll have a show on Monday morning right after a game that we have not watched before the show. Which which so, is awesome. It's, it sucks, but the schedule is what it is. We're going to have two back-to-backs on the weekend, which are going to screw with our schedule, and we're just going to deal with it because that's what we do. We just deal with it. So until then, let's all get our summoning circle out for Nazim Kadri goals. Keep your head up to the dirty areas, and we will see you then. And if it had been a one-week show, it would have been the exact same story. So I'm not concerned about having skipped that first one. Yeah. This all happened this week. If we have to do that much stuff again next week, I think I'll just die. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's hope we don't have another trade. Yeah, and another... (laughs) Two surprise injuries. You know, an NHL fourth debut. overall pick making his NHL yeah. debut. <laughs> we don't really, yeah. Other than Bowers, we don't really want to see anyone else's NHL debut because that would be bad, not good. God, two hours of Burgundy Radio, and we barely even mentioned that Martin Kalt played a game. <laughs> that 
That's how much shit there was in this show. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs>